Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 49, The Burn-In from 1981. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello, I am your host, Hugh Lloyd. Now, before I introduce our very, very special co-hosts on this episode, let's check out the trailer. If you're thinking about being with someone where no one can see you, don't. Because this summer, a legend of terror isn't just a campfire story anymore. They say he smashed his way through the bunk room door, just a mass of flames. I cried out, I will return. I will have my revenge. He lives on whatever he can catch right now. Summer five years ago is about to happen again and again and again. The burning. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by two very, very special guests. We finally tracked him back down. He was hiding somewhere in the basement, so he's back for another swing. Don't call it a comeback, ladies and gentlemen. It's Mr. Jay Prowse. How are you doing, sir? How are we? Well, apart from the uh, technical issues, I'm doing absolutely swimmingly well. (laughs) Superb. And we are joined for the first time on this show by none other than Mr. Gareth Slasher Trash Morgan. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well, Hugh. Thank you for the invitation. No problem. No problem. We threatened to have you on for a while, haven't we? So, um. Yeah, I think it was the Halloween one, I think you did. Yes. Back in February. And I think I got Jay on instead, which, you know, after listening to him, you know, ooh, do I uh, regret my decision? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Is this your debut, Gareth? It's, it's my podcast debut. Oh, wow. Fantastic. I, I would just like to say that so far it's been soured by your technical difficulties, Jay. So you better uh, <laughs> better sort yourself out, lad. Well, I knew I always knew it would be me who popped your cherry. <laughs> ah, and as you can gather, this is going to be possibly the tone for this episode. So, uh, so <laughs> we are talking about 1981's The Burning. Um, now, obviously, this is you know in. Some feels this, you know, at one point this was a somewhat, uh, controversial film. Um, and for a long time it ended up on the video nasties list, which kind of boggles the mind now, actually, when you kind of look back at it, how it ended up on there. Because like a lot of the films that ended up on the videos nasties list, I never really got why it was on there. Um, but hey, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so. 
Let's use the first question. Since Gareth, this is your first time on the show, where did you first come across the burning? Ah, right. Well, um, I used to have a little video shop in the little, little place I grew up in called Hereford, and there was a place called Backstage Video. And along the sort of the bottom shelf, which I always find is quite amusing because the bottom shelf is obviously where, you know, it's accessible to kids because I'm like, you know, 10 or 11. I'm thinking this stuff should be on the top shelf, but it was sort of scuttled away along the bottom shelf. And do you remember when they sort of launched like it was like a cult classic label where you could see the original front cover, but a big, thick, horrible, like red border as it had been like reissued. Yeah. And it had been, and on the back, it just had this information saying this has been um it was it was banned and it's now been re-released with it's a vipco release yeah. of footage cut it was like a vipco but i think it was a company called cult classics and i used to look down and see that and see the, the sort of the front cover of you know crops so you could see him you know raising up the garden shears and i'd always look at that and i always used to think oh yeah that's, that's too much for me too much for me and it until I was a little bit older and then I found it I tracked it down I think Vipco released it on DVD yeah um, finally uncut so I yes. finally got to see it probably I was about probably about 16, 17 right yeah yeah I said so, and Jay where did you come across this one? I think I was a lot later actually because I, I it's just one of those that I because it was banned and so on and so forth I just feel like I it, I didn't see it when I was younger. I remember going. We had we had a video shop. Obviously, everyone had a fucking video shop. But um, <laughs> we, we had a we had a video shop near us that we'd always go to called Marchese. And um, I remember there was always like you'd always walk round the corner to the horror section. And I suspect if you carried on, there was a porn section. But there was <laughs> yeah. definitely a you, horror you, section. You knew nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't go that far. I just went as far as the horror section because I'm classy. Um, <laughs> but um, I remember seeing the fog and being absolutely terrified by a picture of Jamie Lee Curtis kind of round the corner. But I don't remember seeing the burning until a lot later on. And I, 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 yeah, I, I remember it, it was a Vipco. Was it a Vipco video? It was, before it was a Vipco. Yeah, they, I, th- I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah, they, they yeah. brought a, um, a cut version out, sort of early. That's right. Because I saw, yeah. So I saw the cut version, and it would have been early nineties, so quite late. So I saw the cut version, but then back then it was just about. It was more a case of just being able to see a version of it than. Yeah. To see, you know, fully uncut. You don't really care, do you, at the time? You're just like, I get to see the film, you know, one way or another. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, things progress and now I've got a lovely steel book from Arrow. But, nice. um, yeah, it would, it would have been the video cut version. So yeah, if you say it's around the very early nineties, that would have been it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I thought it, oddly enough, <laughs> at, um, one, we had two video shops in our village and like the, it was amazing because the one sort of, um, video shop had the children's section yeah. uh, and right opposite because you used to have to go upstairs to it they had the children's section and literally no less than half a meter you turn round and the horror section was there <laughs> um and quite and then just about another half a meter down was all the soft porn um perfect which, Great so you had like all the children's videos you had the horror and then you had the entire collection of like the electric blue series 
I'm not familiar with that title. What, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and various things that Debbie did. Um, she was a busy girl, was Debbie? Um, she was busy. She got around. She did. She did a whole state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> outrageous. But like, uh, but I remember the sort of they would have the re-releases in the early nineties, like the Vipco stuff. So I remember like um, Zombie Flesh Eaters were, uh, was there. Um, this, you know, the burning was there, and I remember sort of um, renting them and sort of and like and the cut. It was all pan and scan. Um, so it was yeah. really, really sort of badly done and sort of quite sort of heavily edited. And the re- and the biggest scene that was edited was obviously was the Raft Massacre yeah. scene. Um, but the burning really, really stuck with me. Um, and it's always been one of my favourites. It has always been one of my favourites. Um, and of course, this um, the special effects in this were done by the legendary Mr. Tom Savini. Uh, yeah, it was directed by Tony Malam. Um, yeah. Now, controversially, this was the Weinstein brothers' first big foray into film um, and was the first movie released by Miramax. Um, it starred Brian Matthews, Leah Ayres, uh, Brian Becker, Larry Joshua, the fantastic Jason Alexander, with a full set of hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ned Eisenberg. Now, Ned Eisenberg, um, for me, I really like him. I think he's a great character actor, and I absolutely loved him in Last Man Standing with Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, yeah. Great, great. I, re- I think, you know, it's obviously a remake of Yojimbo, but I, I think it's a really, really great one. You've got Carrick Glenn, um, Caroline uh, Holleen, uh, Fisher Stevens, of course. Um, a great character actor. Uh, everybody remember uh-huh. him. Um, as the Indian fella from Short Circuit. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Not he looks com- about 13 in this as well. He yeah, he, he's he really, really young in this. Of course, uh, Holly Hunter was in this. Uh, Bonnie yeah. Goreski. And, I mean, it's got a fairly big uh, cast. And even the guy who was um, who played Rusty in one of the... Um, uh, one of the uh, National Lampoon Vacation movies is in this as well. He's got one of the parts. Um so oh, I remember him, yeah. I remember the kid that he's sort of in the background a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only it... watched the rest of it tonight, and I'm, I can't remember seeing him, and I know exactly the guy you mean. Yeah, he's oh, well, sort go of... On, carry on. He's friends yeah. with sort of Jason Alexander and that little group, and he's sort of... Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. but it's... Um, you know, and we were just, you know, me and Gareth were talking just a little bit before um, you joined us, Jay, is that one of the things uh-huh. that struck me re-watching this today is the quality of the production. Yeah, it's really, really well made and really well put together, uh, and there's a bit more character work to it than you sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I made a note of that, funnily enough, because I, I was thinking as I was finishing off, and I was just doing a few notes not long before the technical issues earlier, um, <laughs> and I was, I was thinking that the reason I think it's superior, viewed as superior, is due in large part to the performances. So it has higher production values, but actually, you know, there are plenty of films that have pretty decent, decent production values, but they really struggle in terms of the actors that they manage to get in. Obviously you've got Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, you've got Holly Hunter, who's essentially an extra. Yeah. Um, but, but they, they seem to form a, quite a cohesive unit as a kind of, a, as a group of people. Yes. They're a hierarchy. 
Clarkies, um, like Fisher Stevens and Jason Alexander seem to form a sort of a double act that feels really natural. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, but I think that's due in part to their skills or burgeoning skills as actors. Yeah. Um, if they were, if, yeah, if they were poor, it might not have worked so well. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. So Gar, what's your <coughs> take on the, on the, it, for me, it feels a little bit more like an ensemble piece. Sort of, what's yeah. your take on this? Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've listened to the commentary. I've actually seen it a few times, and I did catch up with it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Tony Malam, he was he was basically discussing how he he noticed straight away that there was something special about like like Jason Alexander, Fisher Stevens, mm. Mm. even Larry Joshua um, yeah. playing Glazer. Uh, he said they they were just they they were like uh, kings of comedy on the set. Um, and, and sort of everybody sort of gravitated towards them and, and he sort of, he said it just, it just, you know, shone through in their performances. Um, it, they yeah. just come across as so natural, um, and enthusiastic for, you know, the, he said the script was written by, I think it was a chap called, I think it's Peter Lawrence, I think, or something like that. Um, and he said he pretty much wrote it all, but the Fisher Stevens and, and Jason Alexander would sort of like ad lib a little bit, make it up on the spot sort of thing. And he said you could tell which actors he knew would just be absolutely fine with everything that was thrown at them. And he said, and you also knew the ones on the outskirts who were kind of limited. And he was like, right, I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than, you know, the, the sort of the minimum. So I think it just, they were just so lucky um, with, with the casting. I think, I think he said it was a lady called Joy Todd or somebody like that, who, who sort of casted it and said, she just did such a great job. And obviously it's a testament to that because obviously you could tell that they all went on to have, well, certainly in Jason Alexander's case, you know, amazing careers. No, Holly Hunter did as well. Obviously, yeah. she used a little bit, a yeah. little bit, couple, you know, a couple of lines here and there, a couple of woos and all that. I think. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. yeah, it's, it's. I think it's. Ele- I think it does elevate the material when you look back and you see the the older slashers and and obviously we all know that most of the people in those slashers, most of the actors didn't go on to do anything. No. It's in a burden, and a lot of them did. So. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, Lear Ayres, uh, obviously, you know, famously. Um, took you know i and i think she you know should have it should have been an oscar winning film she obviously appeared in the classic blood sport <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know, she, I, hey, think I like she, it i like yeah. it yeah. yeah i like blood sport, i love actually. i love blood sport i love blood sport i think it's a, it's just a ridiculous film it's just a wonderful this idea of you know yeah. th- th- this fight to the death in the uh, tournament in the middle of Hong Kong. It's just it's just it's just a brilliant thing. But she she appeared in that, and obviously I think she also appeared in um, the player with Tim Robbins. Oh, the Tim Robbins, yeah, 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 yeah which is a, again yeah. is a great film. Um, but you know th- there is a real feel to the to, to the sort of the cast in this, um, and it's really interesting that um, Holly Hunter talked about her time on there. Um, and she said about uh, basically she got paid a lot of more money than she'd ever had earned before. She um, got to hang out with a great bunch of people, and she earned a Screen Actors Guild card, and that was it. That that's her memory of the burning because she's like she said she Happy was just, days. she was more than yeah. a, just a, a sort of glorified extra on it. Mm, um, mm, yeah, but it's sort of now the the great debate between this was what came first, wasn't it? Was it Sean Cunningham's Friday the Thirteenth? Or was it old the Weinstein's uh, take on it? Um, that's the, that's been the debate going back and forth. And the one thing that sort of struck me was that Tom Savini turned down Friday the Thirteenth Part Two to do this one. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think he does. He, he does some of his. I think he, Savini's strongest work, I think, is in the Prowler, 
Now, being a man of, uh, you know, ex- in- in- you know, extended knowledge on the slasher genres, where do you think the burning fits in with like Savini's um, pantheon of work? Uh, it's a, it's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, um, t- two of my favourite kills of all time, probably my top two yeah. in the whole subgenre of slashes. Um, Axel's in Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. Yes. Um, you know, where he, uh, Jason comes from behind, he's got the surgical saw, you know, just, just takes it to his neck and sort of, you know, cuts away and sort of twists his neck right. Yeah. Um, and then the kill in the prowler, uh, with the dude who's waiting on the bed. I think, yes. I can't remember that, whether the girl had already been uh, with the eyes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the behind. I think his yeah. girlfriend's already been taken out in the shower with the old, um, I think pitchfork. Yeah. And he, he basically just rams the knife right down the bottom of his skull. And he, it's just, he's shaking his, his head yeah. and everything. I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think though. that's the most disturbing. The most it is. Disturbing. It is. Yeah. Well, probably, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it is pretty horrific. Sorry to buy. And I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think you're all, on with that one I, I, yeah and I think those are my top two <laughs> but if, if anybody ever asked me I, I even said I, in, this is in like the entire horror genre and obviously I haven't seen everything of course because yeah. I tend to specialise in bloody slashes but um, the, uh, the actual Rafsi the Raft sequence yeah. um, is for me the best mass kill sequence ever yeah. on film yeah. I can't think of anything that can challenge it you know Jason taking out three people at once and Jason lives you know the yeah. triple beheading <laughs> yes. that's great and everything but for me you can't beat the raft scene so mm. it's it's up there you can if you watch it now you can see you can see you know like what's it not mistakes you can see where it's you can see the joys like, can't you you can yeah, see the joys yeah you can see the joys like you know like um, uh, Ned Eisenberg you can see where he's, he's popped his head through and, and the cast or whatever his neck and that you know but you know that's, that's besides the point it's, it's it's excellent work and yeah. it can't it can't be topped really yeah it's a do you know what's funny do you know what's fu- sorry, sorry no, do, go, do you know go. what's funny about that scene is i watched it um i don't know what 45 minutes or so before um we started and you i always remember that as quite a long scene it feels yes. like you know it's 45 seconds maybe a minute maximum it yeah. is next to nothing it's the quickest scene and yes. it just, it, it's it kind of over in a blink of an eye. And you're like, whoa, 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 what happened there? Um, yeah. But it has that lovely end scene with, is it, um, I can't remember the character's name, the woman with the trickle of blood down yeah. the arm. Yes. She was a bit of a nobody. I can't remember her yeah. name. Either, um, I remember the yeah. trickle. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, I wrote it down somewhere. I can't she remember. got it across the forehead. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Marine or Barbara, one of those two, apparently. Yeah. But it was, yeah. and I couldn't remember which. It was but that, Barbara. Yeah, it's, it's, Barb's, Barb. Okay. No, no, actually, yeah. no, it's Diane. Was it Diane? Yeah, Diane. Diane. Said, yeah. Oh, Diane. Kevin okay. Kendall. So don't, so don't listen to my notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's just, it, yeah, it is, it is a kind of strangely beautiful way to end the scene. Yes. Oh, is. Which, yeah. which is kind of not in keeping. It's, it's funny actually. Burning has a couple of these, well, more than a couple of these moments that feel kind of off kilter with the rest of the film. And I'm not. That's not to do it a disservice, but they feel slightly removed. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. sure we'll come round to it. And I know Gareth, we've spoken about this before. Um, you know, the scene with the prostitute earlier on, like, who, <laughs> yeah, more a kid to than it is. Uh, well, I don't hate the scene, but I just feel like it doesn't fit the rest of the tone of the film. Um. Perhaps we'll get onto that later because yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and I think sort that. of sometimes. I, I mean, I got to be honest with you. In terms of sort of that scene, it almost feels. It does feel like a sort of 
a bit of a, a, a it does have a maniac feel to it, but also it's yeah. sort of. I don't know if it's just me or I've been watching a bit too much Barva lately, but it does have that sort of Jallo feel to it. Yeah, and he has the uh, yeah because he's got the black hat and yeah, he's got yeah, the black yeah. hat yeah. and you see the gloves and those and you know and even the window smashing. Yeah, it's sort absolutely. of very, very. That's a bit Argento yeah, sort of thing yeah. for me with the window that we pushes her back out, sort of thing, and the yeah. window starts to break. Well, it's a little bit of everything. It's been a bit of Fulci, bit a bit of Argento. You know, it's quality. Yeah, I yeah. love it. And it's sort of, it's sort of, it's quite interesting, isn't it? That you sort of, you see his sort of his really. Got to say, American healthcare does not come up particularly well in this. <laughs> At all, <laughs> it doesn't come up very well. Sort of, oh, you've you know suffered five years of horrific failed surgeries, but um, yeah, you, you look sh- like a fucking Big Mac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the orderlies look after you, don't they? You know they really care. Yes. Come and have a look at this guy. <laughs> this yeah. guy's all fucked up. So, <laughs> you know, you and know, then- there was rumours. There was rumours that that guy was um, early on that that guy was Lawrence Fishburne in an early role. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> Even when he was in his Larry not, phase. Not <laughs> 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 no, no, I just I need to spat my drink out then. Uh, <laughs> but what you boys were saying, go back then because yeah. we may as well go across it now. Otherwise, we we All might. Right. Yeah. All right. So this yeah. scene that you were saying about, so yeah. um, in the commentary, um, Alan Jones, you're like famous. I'm sure it's Alan Jones, yeah. famous sort of horror critic. It is, it is um, yeah, yeah. The, the one with Tony Malum. It is that's Alan it. Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, um, he he mentioned that he asked and said about the scene because he said he felt like I think it was something to do with a little bit of a seemed out of place off kilter, and mm. and he said Tony just said it was just planted. He said Harvey wanted it in there he wanted action every 10 minutes and he said uh, what, what he can remember they just thought you know he's just come out of hospital so he's not going to be at the camp straight away they just said let's stick it in there to sort of let you know he's dangerous he's out there he's bad he's coming for you type of thing so i don't think there was any real okay. you know like inspiration from maniac or anything like that they just Ooh. said it was in buffalo where i think if i remember rightly their office um harvey and bob's office was where their mum worked when they first started out they shot it in <laughs> yeah. buffalo new york and they said look let's just yeah. do this quick scene ten you know action every 10 minutes and and that was that that's really interesting because that feels like that kind of 42nd street yeah audience. yeah it yeah. feels like it's like that's planted there for them. Yes. Uh, you know, you know, you mentioned that he wanted action every 10 minutes. The next kill is over half an hour later. Yeah. So that's really interesting that he says that. And there are a couple of like tense spots, you know, where I, I forget the character's name goes into the woods to get the baseball. Tiger. Um, so there are, uh, that's it. Tiger. Yeah. So there <laughs> yeah, are a tiger. couple of kind of tense moments. I don't know whether he, he, he's thinking, well, that's good. Cause you think there's going to be a kill to it. It yeah. gets everyone kind of G'd up, but the actual next kill, cause I was thinking, I was watching it. I was like, okay, it's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm into it. I'm sure the next, cause I haven't, I haven't watched it for a, I don't know, a couple of years. Um, and I was thinking, I'm sure the next kill comes quicker. And I, was, I, I, I need to time this. So I had a look at the end. I was like, it's like 35 minutes later. Yeah, That's it, it is a while. Kills. Yeah. But, you know, Harvey, Harvey's, um, idea of action, you know, that might have been <laughs> the scene hey, where careful. all the boys bent over and, and, and get their, well, to get be their fair, there out, is the shower, yeah, there is the shower scene. Um, yeah. unless we, unless we forget Alfred, but we'll come to him later. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Alfred will get a bash in later. <laughs> the other interesting, yeah. The other Poor interesting thing about the burning is it's clearly before the bra was invented or the sports bra was invented. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Alfred should have been wearing one the whole way through to be honest 
<laughs> he probably was, let's be honest. Well, let's face He's, it, he was the final girl, wasn't he? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean... For better oh, or worse, yeah. I mean, is it... So it's Brian Backer played Alfred, didn't he? And, That's right, yeah. I mean, in terms of trying to create an endearing character who you're going to sort of stick with <laughs> till the end, um, the pervy, creepy, pale man-boobed guy <laughs> who's lurking around watching everybody have sex it's not the it, it's probably not the guy you're going to root for is it <laughs> it's not going imagine I, I couldn't imagine people watching that in cinema in 1981 you know like coming off the back for example say Friday the 13th you know yelling at Alice Adrian King you know yeah. run run you know Mrs. Voorhees is coming to get you yeah. I couldn't imagine the same enthusiasm for poor little Alfred you know Go on, Alfred, run away from Cropsey. It's probably more like, <laughs> run towards Cropsey, Alfred. Go on. I can't believe you're going to be the guy who survives out of all this. Yeah. You know. the, yeah. It, it's, it's bizarre. I, I mean, and there are so many pointers towards him being dodgy. So there's the, the shower scene, obviously, earlier on. There's Michelle calling him a sexual pervert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, and this guy's going to survive yeah. and then he's watching um, Glazer later on yeah. just like kind of lurking around trees and so it's just there's everything about him is wrong and they try and sort of size him up as a, somehow a sympathetic character so so whenever him and Glazer have a little kind of set to um, Fisher Stevens characters it's like oh leave him alone kind of thing and I'm just like this is not working there, that is the one thing in the film Oh, Jay. Kind of sparred. Oh, I'm still here. Yeah. Am I not? Yeah, you, you're back. You're, you're back. Oh. You're back. So, I, how, how long did I disappear for? Because there was two in, seconds. In, you, 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 oh, were to expose, <laughs> you were just about to expose the meaning of life. <laughs> I heard it all. I don't know what happened. I heard oh. It. All right. Oh, bollocks. Try it again. I was pretend it, Try it again. I was going to pretend it was intellectual gold. But, uh, <laughs> um, I can't remember now. We were Jesus. discussing Alfred um, lurking behind trees, possibly wanking like a safari park chimp. Um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's just, it's, it's really, really difficult to feel sympathy for him. I mean, it, he's actually, he's part of the, the reason we love the burning because you'd have to be, you know, a, a bit mad to, to think that he was really a sympathetic character. Yeah. He's not. He's, he's, pretty creepy and they make a point of showing him up as pretty creepy so i don't know what yeah i think it's um it feels like a weird thing to do to to set him up as this really creepy character yeah i was just and yeah. try and then elicit then try and elicit sympathy from him for, for him later on it's a real it's a real weird one yeah, um, yeah. gareth go on go to it <laughs> no I, I do i do agree with you i mean he, he is i mean what i find funny sort of like the parallels between him and glazer I mean, Glaze at one point, you know, pretty you know, aggressively roughs him up when he's warning him off Sally. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, um, uh, and, you know, has to get broken up. Uh, but Glaze is actually quite sort of sexually aggressive towards Sally. And, you know, she gives yeah. in to his advances in the end. But yeah. what's funny is he, he, there's something about Glazer that, that is endearing, even yeah. though he's a bit of a, a pig. That's, and, yeah, and yet, yeah, yeah. And yet, what's funny, I think it's because Alfred comes across as such a, a sleazy perv where a girl <laughs> yeah. would not find that even remotely attractive no. whereas Glazer's persistence of being yeah. so upfront and not lurking in the shadows is yeah. kind of yeah. like 
Oh, well, you've won me over. You just keep bugging me for that, sex. That's really, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting because then he's got the whole premature ejaculation business. Yeah. So you feel like he's, he's even more pathetic. Yeah, yeah you feel, there, is, yeah. there is. Yeah, there's a character worse than him, Eddie, who is like a kind of proper sexual. Yeah, press. yes, I guess exactly. really like he. I mean, he looks like a fucking rapist. He yeah, does. He's, he's, he's terrible. Yeah, he's he's. He, there's nothing about that character. I mean, like when he gets hacked up on the raft, you're like, yep. Yeah. That, yeah. that needed time. he earned that he yeah. right in the neck doesn't he at the he top does. of the neck. he does he's, there's nothing about him that's redeeming at all he's, he's, he's a, a horrible vicious mean spirited character um and you look forward to him getting hit and he does which yes way. yeah it's his accent as well because it, for me yeah. like the sort of the new yorker yeah. accent it comes across as real yeah. like you know like threatening and you know yeah. and, and and like he just he, when he's like um i think it's karen he's he's within the woods and, yeah. Yeah. and she, she sort of backs off in the end and he's like you know we'll get the fuck out of here then he's yeah, really yeah. like you, you'd be like oh my god he's not yeah he's not redeeming in any way shape or form no, no, and, no, and, no you're right yeah and yeah, there's another terrible <laughs> There's another pointer as well later on to him being abusive because Michelle and Todd are uh, talking to him, asking where he is, and Michelle tells him that Karen is scared of him. Yeah. Cal, yeah. you this is what I don't know where it's trying to go with that. I no. think it's trying to say something, but I, I'm not really sure what. But it just, I'm like, wow. And 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 that kind of makes Glazer, Glazer's kind of. Slightly um, sexually predatory <laughs> persistence. Yeah, yeah. less, less, less threatening. He yeah. slightly wins. He wins I, the gentleman award on default. <laughs> the only, exactly. yeah, he was competing yeah. against creepy Alfred, <laughs> and basically, you know, pretty much rapist Eddie. So, and here's exactly. the other thing as well. You know, Cropsy gets. Uh, you know, uh, spoiler alert, uh, alert you because you know if you haven't seen it, pause. Come back to the podcast. You know, at the end, Cropsy gets, you know, an axe straight to the face, pinning him to the wall. And then Alfred decides, I know, I'm just going to set him on fire. <laughs> it's, it I just, thought that was like overkill. Yeah, it's just sort of the, but it's like you can almost see him just sort of almost creeping up and just sort of slowly just lighting his <laughs> leg. And then it's, you know, it's, it's almost as if, you know, even he can't dispatch the villain of the film without looking creepy. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he's that kid, he's that kid who his, his parents had burst in his room when he was like 10 or 11, and he's like, he's caught like a frog or something, and he's like dissecting it and pulling the legs off, and they're like, what are you doing, Alfred? And he looks up at them as though like, you know, what? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just wanted to see what it would feel like, you know, and they're like, oh my god, he's just that guy, isn't he? He's just pushing yeah. the boundaries every but time. It's funny that he, he plays this kind of voyeuristic character, and then later on he kind of gets stalked by Cropsy, and yet somehow, he still looks creepy. He's running through. he's running through the forest and the, behind trees, and it, I'm like, you still look. You are more threatening than Cropsy, even <laughs> now. <laughs> if you if you really pay, like if you really really concentrate when he's running through the forest, you imagine it's him doing the chasing. Yeah, there's, there's a girl actually. Cropsy is like some, yeah. Cropsy yeah. is actually the hero of the film. He just sort of edit that. Yeah. yeah, where Cropsy's pulling through the trees, he's actually hiding. He's yes, he's he, you know the, oh, this poor, you know this poor, uh, you know disabled guy who's been through a traumatic <laughs> event in his pre, you know, and he's now living in the woods after losing his job because they burnt his cabin down. Is now being mm. stalked by Alfred, yeah. by sweaty yeah. Alfred. Yeah, and, well, and, and hey, another. 
another spoiler alert, the actual ostensible hero is the one who fucking kicked it off in the first place. Yeah, well, you can. <laughs> who technically deserved to die. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. And, and yet we still hate Cropsey, Alfred. Yeah, poor old Cropsey gets an axe through his head. He's like, oh, cheers. I mean, to be <laughs> fair to Todd, he is rocking the Canadian tuxedo throughout this oh, film. Oh, yeah. He oh, is yeah. rocking that denim on denim. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you and I gotta be honest, Glazer's mullet is it's sensational. It is a thing of beauty. I'm a, I, I am a fan of the mullet. Me um, too. I've never, you know, I, I don't think I could ever wear a mullet or pull it off because I would kind of look like something from Mad Max, just a fatter <laughs> version. But it's that sort of, you know, it's layered, it's feathered, it's, you know, it's, it, it's not quite Kirk Douglas, you know, um, the Kirk yeah. Douglas, um, Kurt Russell territory, but we're get, we're, we're creeping up to it. It's, we're creeping up to it with him. <laughs> it could, it could only be rivaled by Keeper Sutherland's mullet in The Lost Boys. Oof. Yes. And then well, you've, got, you've got Kevin Dillon's mullet in The Blob, which is actually my Ooh, personal yeah. favourite. Oh, yes. That's my personal That's favourite. That's powerful. In fact, I actually think that if the blob wasn't, you know, causing all the drama in the blob, I actually think you could make a movie on Kevin Dillon's mullet. And I think his mullet would have done the same thing. It would have just like <laughs> surrounded somebody and just like swallowed them up whole. <laughs> their, them. their flesh just dripping <laughs> off their bones and stuff, you know? His hair was that powerful. I could sense it. So, there's a film uh, yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, there's got to be some mullet-based horror out there, haven't there? There's got to be. <laughs> I have to quickly say this because we were we were briefly touching ooh, upon oh. Alfred. He actually won a Tony Award on Broadway a couple of years later for playing ooh. Woody Allen. Well, there How we are. How weird is that? <laughs> Creepy well, guy go. credentials stamped there. Um, any final points on uh, the incredible work of uh, <laughs> the most hated man possibly in all slasher movies, Brian Baker's uh, <laughs> Backer's uh, Alfred. <laughs> Brian Backer's Alfred. Well, what's funny is years ago, well, I say years ago, I was a Peace Academy fan. Um, I'm still a massive Peace Academy fan because obviously I'm just pure trash. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, I'm sure, well, I'm sure it's Peace Academy 4. Yes. Um, Brian Backer, Brian Backer and David Spade play these like, little sort of uh skateboard rebels and they're like going through uh the shopping mall and that like and they're on their little skateboards doing their little tricks and stuff and yes. i think in the end they managed to get away and then i'm sure they both end up like being recruited into the academy and i'm just thinking it's alfred <laughs> so after after surviving the clutches of cropsy he ended up having to spend time with david spade so it might have ended up worse for him to be honest <laughs> Police Academy 4. That's Citizens on Patrol, isn't it? That is Citizens on Patrol. Yes. Yeah. I love those. I love them. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, hello? We're still there? Yeah. Oh, we've got the Gremlins, no, ladies here, and gentlemen. I'm here, I'm here. The, the Gremlins are playing up tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Not, Miami Beach is where I feel it all. Uh, Mission Miami, is it? Mission Miami? <laughs> no, Miami Beach, assignment Miami Beach is the uh, fifth one, that, and then Mission to Moscow is the Moscow. seventh one. Yeah, yeah That's I the do. Seventh one. I do feel it peaked on the fifth one. I think it yeah, peaked. See, it I, peaked. I've, got a, I've got a soft spot for Assignment Miami Beach, even though it's the first one that Steve Guttenberg doesn't appear in, I think. Yeah, yes, it is, it yeah, is. yeah, yeah. I actually think it's really strong because it's completely bonkers. 
Yeah. Um, but I don't know if a lot of people agree with me on that. I think, I think Steve Guttenberg, I think in the fourth one, you could just see he was literally just, you know, just phoning it in. Um, Back, I think like even Kim Cattrall's obligation. In it. Yeah, Kim Cattrall's yeah, in it, yeah. Charles in it as well. And, um, what's the name? Zed, uh, Bob Him again, he's just not as funny as he is in two and three. So even though they both depart after four, they bring, I think, Oh, what's his name in the fit into the fifth one? It's the Nick. guy from Deep Star Six. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's his name? He was in Hand the Box the Cradle as well. Yes. McCoy, uh, Matt McCoy is. Yes, it? Matt McCoy. Yeah, and he plays, I think, Nassad's nephew, and he's actually pretty good in it. And then he's bringing that really big, um, that big giant dude who's like Hightower's buddy. Um, he's hilarious, and I just, yeah, I just, I like it. It's stupid. <laughs> Do you know what? What, I, what are we doing? I've got to be honest, your knowledge of Police Academy movies is right up there with Liam's knowledge yeah. of the Confession movies. <laughs> yeah, just, it, it means nothing. It doesn't do anything for me. It's not a party trick at all. If I start talking about this stuff at parties, I get asked to leave. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what the funny thing is? Is Steve Gutenberg or Guttenberg or however you pronounce it, he, his career actually went on a bit of a nosedive from there because yeah. he, he did like three men and a, and a baby and yeah. then the lesser three men and a little lady and then just kind of disappeared. So yeah. um, there's a lot to be said for the Police Academy movies for raising your profile. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, coming back to, uh, thankfully, yes. The Burning. <laughs> yeah, random. <laughs> That's my fault. Now, what do you think of the ending? Because I think the ending is a bit of a, it's a bit of a mishmash, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, because originally the it was going to be shot in a cave, um, but apparently just bef- the day before, the, the day after they went, they'd set things up, they went back, and the cave in, the cave had actually caved in and collapsed, so they couldn't film in there. And then they were able to find this sort of like mining area, an abandoned mine, so they, they filmed in that. But the Weinsteins weren't happy with their ending, so they made Savini go back and reshoot an ending, um, which is the camp story ending. Um, so I don't. I, and again, it, like the like the bit at the beginning, I feel like it was kind of shoehorned in. I don't know if you guys yeah. sort of yeah. How do you feel about the, mm. about the ending? Because it kind of sort of it almost fits into like that 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 sort of Gannick's ending kind of thing, where you just think to yourself, "Hang on, is this this isn't quite quite right." Yeah, um, I, I might be wrong, and Gav probably probably correct me on this, but <clears throat> I've got a feeling that Todd was supposed to be like the final boy, adult, right. or yeah. whatever. But yeah. for some reason, they decided that it had to be a more kind of teeny teen rather than an adult, if you like. Right. And so that's why um, <laughs> Alfred. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Alfred. Al- Alfred is the uh, final. Boy, uh, nerd, uh, freaky boyer, yes. or whatever you want to call him. Um, but I might be wrong, Gareth. Is, is that right, or have I got that way yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, I... I think so. I mean, I also think that when people listen to this back, they're going to think that there's like a companion piece to the movie Annie, uh, and yeah. it's, it's what the movie we're talking about is called Alfred. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, Tony Malum didn't like he didn't like the sort of the final third. He said, but um, mm. what he did say in in his, in his commentary is that he he really hated the term final girl. Yeah. So I, I think he just fancied trying something different anyway by having a final boy. Um, debatable whether Alfred fit yeah. that wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he, I think he found it quite. Him and Alan Jones joked about it. They found it quite amusing that Todd 
could you know couldn't really have been sort of the final because he he is kind of the you know the reason why Cropsey was coming back sort of thing so I think that they felt like they had to just sort of stick Alfred in there anyway Um, but I know that Tony Mayne said when he looks back on it now he hadn't watched it in like 25 years and I I think the um, commentary was was recorded around about I think 2006 2007 Um, he did say he would he'd love to have changed the ending because he didn't like it Um, so yeah it seems like everybody wasn't really that fussed I think the whole Savini shooting the camp scene that he didn't confirm or deny that, but it does seem like uh, a Harvey sort of Savini move. Because if you remember, the Savini uh, used to go in and sneak into the audience um, when Friday the 13th was playing in the theatres and yeah. would watch to see that sort of shock ending. And I think that just that you're dead moment sort of thing. Yes. Don't move, don't breathe or whatever, all that rubbish. I, I think they just thought that was a bit of a, a, bit of a bang to go out with. So, it, yeah, that mm. wouldn't surprise me if they did that. Yeah, it's, it, it also feels like that kind of tagged on. Oh well, if we say that his body was never found, you've got that kind of set up for the sequel yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. Never happened, but yeah, yeah. That, that feels like something that they would have shot later on. Yeah, thinking actually, do you know what? If this makes a sequel, we need to actually kind of set that up in one way or another, even if it's quite, you know, it yeah. wasn't like you, you don't see him or anything. No, like, no, his body was never full, full found. Circle. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, I've yeah, be, exactly. yeah. and I've got to yeah. be honest, I'm really, really glad that they never, ever made a sequel to this. Because... Get out. <laughs> <laughs> because I do, I, I do think it sits nicely in a standalone piece. Because, I, like, I mean, Savini talks about... Um, in There's a great little documentary. Um, I don't know whether it's... I think it's on the Arrow. Is it Flaming Memories? Of the uh, burning. I think it is. I think it is yeah. yeah, it's also on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube where he talks about part of the reason why he turned down um, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two was that Jason was the killer, and he always felt that Jason really wasn't, you know, shouldn't be the lead in the, you know, because Jason, you know, drowned. Um, yeah. You know, and he always, and he always had a bit of a problem with that. And I think in yeah. some ways, with it not being um, a part of a franchise. It gives this film a little bit more power. Also, throw in the fact that you know you, it's on the video. It got it was on the video nasty list. It made it onto that list. It also gives it that just that little bit of mystique. It's only the one film, oh. and it sort of and it work and it and for me it kind of sits quite nicely that they didn't sort of take it on and it, you know we didn't end up with part eight, the final chapter followed by part <laughs> nine, six weeks yeah, later. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I really enjoy. I, that's the one thing that I, I always thought to credit where credit is due. But obviously, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, yeah. To, to be honest, you are right, and I know that when I have a, a very strange love for like sequels and remakes, and I'm very aware that it's it's very irrational. Doesn't even make any sense. But for me, it's like more the same. You know, you, you go out on the weekend and you have some beers. You like that. You're going to want to do it again the next week. You don't say, "Well, I've done that once, and you know, I don't fancy doing it again because it was perfect mm. as it was." That's just me. I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. It, it had they made two, three, four, and five, then it probably would have diluted the effect 
of the original, certainly in the eyes of many. They they did discuss making a sequel, and um, I think for all these years now, Harvey has always said whenever he's bumped into Tony Malum, I owe you one, I know I owe you one, and I think he was trying to get him to, to get Tony to make a sequel. Uh, and Tony, while he said he really enjoyed his time making um, The Burning and, and you know thought it was a, a wonderful experience and really always wanted to make a horror film, he, he said he just had no interest in doing another one. So it sounds as though it was it would have happened had he said yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Do you know what though? I mean, I was just thinking about this as you were talking. Like, <clears throat> you think about other um, titles, those slasher titles, like Friday the Thirteenth, The Prowler, so on and so forth. They're not quite as evocative as The Burning. No. No. You know, there's something about that. You're like the. So something gets burned, someone gets burned. It sounds horrific. Yeah. It's like the, the Prowler is like, well, it's Alfred, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, and Friday the 13th isn't that evocative. It's like, well, it's, it's a day. You know, yeah. it's an unlucky day. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's not evocative, but not in the same way. Well, it's right? like Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway Camp for me is a, br- I think it's an amazing, amazing film. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it, it's just got, I mean, that ending. Um, yeah, it's yeah. it's something else, mm-hmm. but um, the title itself, Sleepaway Camp, doesn't quite sort of yeah. it doesn't sort of yeah. strike terror into your heart, does it? It's not like sort of when you look at the mutilator, you know, <laughs> you know what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. The Slayer. Although, although, yeah, Sleepaway Camp was a uh, was it? I know the sequel was. I don't know if the original was Nightmare Vacation. Yes, as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. Nightmare Vacation Two was the top because I rented that. <laughs> ever, and I was like, "This is basically porn." Most of this, this yeah. is brilliant, and I'm 14. <laughs> um, but, but, but I don't know if the original was also called Nightmare Vacation in the UK or not. No, it was, it was two and three. It was. It was the two it was and the, three. Uh, okay, Springsteen ones. I still can't believe it's Bruce Springsteen's sister. I know. Right? Yeah. But, yeah, it was two and three. They marketed it them I mean, in the UK as Nightmare Vacation one and two. That's right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then the fourth one, I don't. Well, the fourth yeah. one. I think I just went straight to YouTube. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Nightmare Vacation too, though. Not because of the porn part, <laughs> because but not mostly not. Um, but just because it's one of those films. It's one of those weird ones that we rented because. Because the cover had a, a strange version of, uh, I think it had a Jason mask and like a Freddy glove or something. Yes, like that. I remember right. that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I rented it off. Yeah, we, me and my mate rented it off the back of that. We were like, "What the fuck? This is awesome. This is going to be the best thing ever made." Yeah, um, it used to scare it, me. <laughs> it wasn't the best film ever made. Though, no, so. no, no, no. But again, I think the sort of and we, I'd spoke about this. Um, in the bonus episode where we had um, Gareth Evans on and we were talking about um, the sort of, you know, our, our, the, the joy of the VHS cover. And, you know, I spoke about Ninja Mission, which one has got an amazing, that's an amazing title. It has an amazing cover, but it is <laughs> yeah. almost, un- well, it is, it's unwatchable rubbish. But then, you, but when you look at like the cover for this, where you've got, because there was, you know, you've got, uh, you got Cropsy there, and you, you got the silhouette of him standing with the with the shears, yeah. and then you got like the lake, and you got the sort of you got the teenagers sort of half naked in the in the water. You got the brilliant title, you know, the, the burn. It all marries together, and then when you look at like the cover for the Prowler, um, yeah, for Maniac, for the Mutilator, uh, you, you know, Prom Night, Prom Night has got a fucking brilliant cover. 
that sort of black silhouette. It's absolutely superb, and I think lots and lots of people are missing that now. They really, yeah, you know, yeah. people are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's a '90s thing. This is something else that Gareth and I have spoken about before on Twitter. Is there was a '90s thing where they started to use. Um, like kind of photo, Photoshop came out. So it was like Photoshop images of faces. Yes. The stars. And that was the selling point rather yeah. than the, the, uh, the artwork. artwork. Yeah. 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 And there was definitely a change. I know, Gareth, you're quite a fan of that anyway, aren't you? In the nineties, the, the kind of, I don't, don't mean you're a fan of Photoshop, but you're a fan of that. <laughs> kind of, that kind I, of style. I'm really, really enthusiastic about Photoshop. You know, <laughs> um, no, I just, yeah, it, once obviously Scream kicked off and, and, mm. and obviously every poster then just had, you know, rather than any sort of like original artwork, it was literally just the actors sort of faces just lined up in, well, so, you know, it was, it was very, very basic. It was no frills, yeah. but um, mm-hmm. I think really it was just a situation where at the time I just loved those movies. So uh, the posters could have just been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now, obviously, it is sort of twenty odd years later, and you look back, and I think it's more like you look back with nostalgia and think those were the days. But yeah, nothing could compare to the original covers. Um, and I did just sneakily look it up, Jay. Sorry, I apologise. You were yeah, right. Um, right. Nightmare Vacation Two was Sleepaway yeah. Camp Two, and Nightmare Vacation Three was Sleepaway Camp Three. I had to okay, get that cool. in because my OCD would yeah. allow me to uh, <laughs> <laughs> get it. I'd, p- I'd yeah. punch myself in the face all night long. <laughs> I mean, there is something sort of, um, I think, you know, when you look at the 80s slashers, the slasher movement, and particularly some of the earlier stuff, there is this sort of, there's almost a mystique about them. And I think this, The Burning is one of those films that carries it. And I think The Prowler is another one that carries it. And yeah. what are you doing? It just sounds like somebody is unzipping their fly in the background. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was, to be honest. <laughs> I'm not, I'm sitting perfectly still. I'm not moved. I thought it was one of you. No, he's been one rock, of you. rock and roll from start to finish tonight. He's an absolute diva. An absolute I diva. Have, yeah. Oh, my phone. I got to do it on my phone. I've only got 10% battery. <laughs> Nightmare. Oh, oh. Vacation. I can't wait Part to two. edit this this is going to be so much fun <laughs> if you could just go ahead and edit jay out yeah. then, be, uh... <laughs> then it would make no sense because i'm the only one with any salient points well we tried <laughs> that I wish I, i'm trying to click my fingers in a kind of diva way but it's not working yeah we, yeah. we tried editing out and that ended up with just a really bizarre thing where i ended up edit, accidentally editing myself out where jay, was, and, jay yeah. and liam just stood there going <laughs> I like that because you published that and we were just and it was Liam and I going mm, mm. every 30 seconds mm. oh, I just realised there was something I had to tell you and this is great because um, Hugh you were saying about um, Ned Eisenberg before and how like, you mm. thought he was great in it yeah. well um, Tony Malum couldn't say nicer things about him and then just randomly I'm on Twitter the other day and I'm looking along and I come across a tweet from Adam Marcus, the writer director of Jason Goes to Hell. All right. Um, he's, he's actually a really nice bloke. I do speak to him sometimes on Facebook and he's, he's very, um, he's very aware, obviously, that, that, you know, Jason Goes to Hell isn't, you know, it's very divisive. Not everybody's a, a fan of it, but, you know, he takes it in his stride. He's aware that he was very young when he made it and he, he knows he looks back and made mistakes or whatever, but he's a really cool bloke and he popped up and said that Ned Eisenberg is his uncle. Cool. Oh, wow. 
And, um, yeah, what? so I just thought, wow, that, yeah, that's an awesome connection. And he said, if you watch, there was, um, on, there was a documentary, some, some horror, uh, cinema documentary thing or whatever, where, um, Ned Eisenberg jokes saying, like, a, a makeup artist can kill you because, uh, Tom Savini literally did very nearly kill him whilst <laughs> killing him in the burning because apparently he covered his face uh, with all the prosthetics or whatever and he, he was sort of suffocating a bit so I just thought that was just absolutely hilarious <laughs> trivia um, so there is a little bit of a connection there the whole you know the burning being a rip off of Friday the 13th and yeah. then obviously years later Adam Marcus went on to direct Jason Goes to Hell I just thought that was really cool yeah that, that I mean when you look at actually when you say about sort of um, like Savini's process and nearly killing uh, Eisenberg is his practical effects um they are incredibly practical you know they you know he was he's always been a fan of using like people's faces and the sort of the the technique of sort of burying somebody using their real face and then having that sort of fake body there and that scene um on the boat um where eisenberg is being stabbed because he gets stabbed through the neck, doesn't he, with the, with yeah. the garden shears? And he that was shot, obviously not on the raft, but he was he was literally um, buried up to his neck um, on this sort of on this sort of outdoor stage. Um, and the person who does the stabbing is Savini, who's dressed up like Cropsey. Um, and it, they, it, I think it took two days in total to film that that actual moment. Um, and quite literally, he is buried up to his neck where he can't move at all. And people are having conversation. They showed a clip um, on the in the, the, the flaming documentary um, where people are having conversations. And Tom Savini's having a conversation with somebody and he's holding the garden shears really <laughs> close to his eyes. And he's just waving them around and he can't move he cannot move it i think he spent about three hours just trapped there while he stabbed him in the throat um and sprayed him with blood and then you know just over and over again and it's incredible the sort of the detail and the sort of almost sort of um obsessive practical level that savini goes to to achieve the effects in this film, yeah. and like the sort of um, the scene where Cropsey um, is burning at the beginning, where he knocks the skull onto his own legs and sets fire. That's yeah. Savini's legs. Savini's legs, yeah. They are Savini's legs, and the scene where the house, uh, obviously, the, the, the uh, Cropsey shack goes up in flames, and then he comes running out. That was done by a stunt guy. Um, because uh, oh, he falls down the hill, doesn't he? Reed yeah. Rondell. Yeah, Reed Rondell. Yeah. Who Reed Rondell. Really, really, uh, sadly, tragically died um, whilst making Airwolf um, yeah. the TV series. There was an actual helicopter crash, and he died didn't make an Airwolf. Um, but when they were doing that, when they were doing the setup for that, they had the house completely rigged with all the gelatine ready to light up. Savini would all he had to do was sort of walk into the room, hand the the torch over. Um, to Ron Rodell's um, father, who was also a stuntman, he would then light Rondell and the inside of the interior up, and they would be able to escape. However, Savini was so excited about this, <laughs> he ran in, and because they had the gelatine everywhere on the floor, he slips, sets <laughs> fire to the entire 
room so that Rondell's father just pushes him into the flames and just <laughs> pushes him out through the door. So nowhere you see him coming at the door and he's stumbling. The reason why he's stumbling is he wasn't expecting to be sort of lit on fire and Rondell's old man has just sort of shoved him into the flames and then shoved him out through the door. <laughs> but it's, it, you know, it, but it's these little moments in the film that, that really sort of, that, that sort of connect with me. It's that sort of those, those great accidents, those great moments that you get on set. Yeah. yeah. You know, that is, a, that, and that's, that's a superb moment. It's a superb moment. So it's a it's a great scene. I mean, you're not, you're like you when it, and anybody's set on fire in a, in a movie. I'm 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 always the one looking to see that it's clearly you know a stunt guy yeah. in a massive outfit with gloves on and a helmet or whatever. Yeah. And I know it, it's, it always looks kind of hokey, but you know you've got to give them credit. It's a guy being set on fire for Christ's sake. It's never going to look realistic. Yeah. Um, but that that moment does always sort of make me giggle a bit, even though it's very serious and you know it's supposed to set the tone for the movie. I get that. Yes. Yeah. You can see like how thick and heavy set. You know, the guy looks, yeah. and he's rolling down that hill with his massive gloves on, and clearly yeah. some type of helmet. <laughs> and you're just thinking, oh, that, that's obviously, what's he doing wearing a helmet when he's in bed? He, he didn't have one on a minute ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's just being cynical. And obviously. why on earth did he get that skull and knock it onto his own legs in the first place? <laughs> yeah. yeah the, Who reaches their arm out and knocks something to towards <laughs> themselves? <laughs> his, his swatting skills are terrible. <laughs> yeah. like but, but it's the fact that how play. quickly he goes up in flames, mind you. Yeah. 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 drinking that night. Pours yeah. himself in petrol and then has yeah. a little nap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And he's like, I need that skull with the worms coming out of it closer to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know the, um, the stuntman though, that Reed Rondell? Yes. Um, I remember reading up about him, oh god, years ago, and I can't remember why, I think I was looking up, um, it was Airwolf, wasn't it? Yeah, he died. yeah, yeah. Um, he, he was really good friends with Tom Cruise. Oh wow! He he is. He, I think he, I think he was only about seventeen or eighteen when he did the burn. He was like twenty two when he died, and I think like nineteen eighty five. He had been Tom Cruise's stunt double in um, stuff like I think all the right moves and risky business. I think yeah. Um, and they were really really good friends. And apparently Tom Cruise was in London shooting Legend. I think when he found out um, yeah, that, that he died, he was really really yeah. cut up about it. Yeah. I mean, he was 22. It's, it's incredible. You know, it's, it's amazing to think, mind you, at, you know, that at 22, um, he was, you know, he was, a, you know, a, a, a pretty much a diehard, you know, he was being born into a family of stuntmen. Um, yeah. And that he's, you know, involved in like, you know, flying helicopters at 22. Um, yeah. It's just, it's incredible, isn't it? And it, you know, you know it's, it does sort of, it does sort of give you sort of a new level of respect. Um, for the work it makes that, you me know, feel like less of a man <laughs> yeah and I mean I've, I've been fortunate enough to know quite a few different stunt guys over the years and they are a different breed they are a very very different breed I mean you know there's lots of them who cannot walk into a building without thinking I'd like to fall off the highest point of this <laughs> or you know somebody Jeez. please hit me with a chair it's yeah. <laughs> live with danger yeah so what are your so get what are your moments in this film? What are the moments that really, really stand out for you? Oh God, I mean what doesn't? I mean I I just love it. It's the same um just in case I don't get a chance to throw this in there, because you know I'm such a nerd. Um it's it's my it's my all time favourite non franchise slasher. Yeah. Hands down. It's you know, so you know, take take it after you want. we call it we say we'll say post Halloween, because Black Christmas is one of the greatest films ever made. But if yes. we're talking 
post Halloween, a slasher cycle, once they come out, if you're ignoring, you know, Halloween, Friday the 30th, or whatever, all of the sequels, take out the franchises, the burning is, is my number one. I, I love it. And, and say even, even the faults now, are, you know, like even, even Alfred, you know, the fact that we've been laughing about him for like God, two hours, <laughs> you know, even though, even though you, you, if you could go back and reshoot it, you probably would. For yeah. some reason, it's, it's sort of perfect in, in its imperfectness, you know, it's just yeah, like, yeah. I love it, but I'm um, Glazer's death for me. Um, I really, I really like Glazer as a character, even though he's, you know, uh, what I loved about the burning was that most of the kids didn't seem like they were 38, like the guys in Greece. They're all like, you know, like Fisher <laughs> Stevens. Fisher Stevens looked about 12 and 13. And because, you know, Jason Alexander actually had hair, yes. he, he could pass for young. They all look young, but the funny thing is Glazer didn't. And I know that worked yeah. on the level of he was supposed to be the antagonist, the bully. Yeah. But he's like sort of 42 years old going up to, <laughs> hey, Sally, hey, pretty girl, hey, yeah. you know, and he, he swims over to the raft and, and then jumps up and then they shoot him in the butt with that yeah. air gun or whatever. You know, that scene is just... And then the girl just pushes him in. Yeah, yeah she's, she's so emaciated. She's yeah, absolutely yeah. ruthless. And yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's the girl who looks into the camera at the end. So <laughs> hey, okay, when, they're, when they're on the raft and they're coming back at the end yeah. when everybody's yeah. been slaughtered, yeah. She briefly glances directly into the camera, and I'm like, "I saw you, and you ruined it for me." There, we broke the wall. <laughs> you ruined it. Glazer's um, death, yeah, it was his, his death. I, I thought that was just—it was excellent, perfectly shot. It's, it's, it is well frightening, really. Um, the way it's the way that you know acting can make or break a death in a slack. Yes. Movie, you know, it could take you from if you if you remember the guy in the mutilator where he gets the chainsaw and he does the chainsaw dance. He's yeah, yeah, overactive. Yeah. It's just like, Ugh! and it yeah. was just ridiculous. He's screaming for like ten years when he probably would have long been dead. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's been ripped in half by a chainsaw. But he's screaming like he's singing a national anthem or something. Um, Glazer, I just love his reaction. I mean, I've never seen anybody get killed by having shears rammed into their throat, but I think it's about as realistic as you can imagine it being. He's really struggling. He yeah, rammed against that tree and you know you could see the brute strength in the lad you could tell he's a tough guy he doesn't want to be beaten sort of thing but he just he's really you know and then he, he just sort of you know he obviously gives up because he bloody dies but i just yeah. love that scene i think it's superb yeah yeah that's a great scene jay what stands out for you I would have said Glazer's death as well, but it's been completely ripped from me. So, <laughs> I'm, so actually, I'm going to get Fisher Stevens having his fingers cut off. He just it makes yeah. me laugh for some reason. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. It's perfectly acted, and it's kind of like what you would do. Fisher Stevens looks at his fingers like, "What in fuck has just happened to me?" But it's just, it's just, it's it's a great. I, I love that moment. It's a really good moment. Um, I. I think the yeah the final the bit with Alfred being chased around the kind of that brick compound thing yeah um is lacks tension and so you don't by the by the end you're just kind of waiting for the end you're not really like oh I hope he survives yeah a bit obviously <laughs> but um <laughs> but yeah it's it's hard to really look past the the Glazer death yeah. and I thought that when I watched it again earlier I was like this is apart from the the, the raft scene but you know if i was looking beyond the raft scene it that's the best scene i, I agree with gary so it's really hard to look past that although the, the prostitute stabbing at yeah. the beginning is is pretty well done and there's something about the way he kind of wiggles the knife when it's yes. in her gut yeah, but yeah. I, I was like i was like 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, the, yeah, overall, the gaze is seen and uh, Fisher Stevens' fingers. Oh, and the trickle of blood down um, the, the girl's arm, which yeah. I think is a fabulously out-of-kilter poetic moment. Yes. But I, I, I still like it. Yeah. For me, um, it's, the, it's the girl on the raft where he just, like, slashes the top of her head off. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. That is one of those moments where you just go, fuck, that looks really painful. Yeah. Yeah. That that did look good. It looks good. Yeah. 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 And it's that sort of, it's that moment where you, it takes it to that completely new visceral level. Mm -hmm. And it takes like a strip of bone out of her head. There's like, where the um the shears kind of cut through it's not like just a line of blood it's almost like it takes a lump out of the front of her head yeah it's really yeah, yeah. It very impressive. Yeah. yeah 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 it is just that sort of like oh my god it, it, it looks it looks so painful um and you know i i think glazer's death is superb and looking at and seeing how they did how they made that scene how that mm. how that was all put together is just um it's just it's 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 so simple, but it's so mm. effective. Um, I absolutely love that the fact that he was and the person who, di- who kills him is the director, um, yeah. um, because he was obsessed with the way people would hold the shears. So yeah. for a lot of the scenes where Cropsey is holding the shears, it's the director. Um, I thought that's I just I think you know that's a great great scene. The other bit that I absolutely I I I, I I'm a bit of a sucker for a POV shot. Yeah. Um, and there's something about the fact that, you know, Cropsey's clearly suffering badly from cataracts. Um, <laughs> but it works. It works it within does. the context of the film. And, mm. I, and I think it, it does bring this other level of sort of voyeurism, us watching somebody else watch somebody else before yeah. they kill them. You know, I think it's a great, yeah. great, I think it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a simple, simple cinematic technique, but it works really, really well. Yeah, and there's a little moment just before the Glazer scene, and it's where Sally's because you don't see her being killed; you see her holding the shears. Yes, and then he comes back and thinks she's sleeping. Yes, and I remember the first time seeing that, expecting him to pull back the the sleeping bag, and you find her body, and yes. it's actually Cropsy hidden. I yes, think that's a really good scene because you're just, you're expecting to see gore, and instead, what you you know, he just kind of reaches up and just I don't know how he manages to physically do that, to be honest, but nonetheless, he gets <laughs> up and <laughs> and, and I just, it's just a really well. Uh, it, it's kind of a sleight of hand. So you're just expecting one thing and you, you get another. And I, re- I, I, I did enjoy that. About yeah. It, so. well, he had to be super strong to be able to lift up that mullet. Yeah, as well. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, well, so, like yeah. Samson. Yes. <laughs> they must have got the rock as a stand in or something yeah. for Tony <laughs> to shoot just that one scene. Now, um, yeah. Here's yeah, the other on. star of this film is the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was composed. Yeah, it by yeah. the legendary grumpy bastard Rick Wakeman. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, we also I, did Inferno, uh, Argento's Inferno. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Around a year, the year before. Just as an aside to that, I will let you carry on, but I was looking at on, on Wikipedia earlier and just, just picking up bits and notes and stuff that I might have missed. And there is a little image of the soundtrack album. It's got Rick Wakeman, The Burning, and in silhouette, there's a picture of Cropsy. Yeah. And in the bottom left, there's Alfred. <laughs> Alfred and it's running really away. Funny. <laughs> it's a really good cover. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, now, Alfred. Yeah. now, famously, Rick Wakeman was offered um, part of the box office for this, but he turned <laughs> it down. And unfortunately, on its initial release, it didn't do particularly well. Um, I think it had a budget of 1.5 million, and I think it only grows 700,000 back. But internationally it became the biggest selling um box office uh, draw in japan for a horror movie um and he missed out on millions <laughs> he missed out on oh, millions on it don't yeah don't now we know why he's so grumpy yes yeah. yes but I, i'm sure he's not short of a few bob though i'm sure he is uh, i i think he, i think he did all right fine. I think yeah. he managed to get by, but I, <laughs> I, 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 re, I do like a good synth score, and I think this has a really, it's got, a, it's yeah, got a really, yeah. really strong one. Yeah. I think it's got a really, really strong score. Once, once you know it's Rick, so say you don't watch the intro and you don't know it's Rick Wakeman. When you find out after, you're like, oh, it's so Rick Wakeman. Yeah. You can imagine him with a massive cape on. Yes. <laughs> and people dressed up as knights ice skating around yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. So. Funny. Actually. Go on. Yeah, go on. Go go, go, go. No, 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 no. It was just um, Rotten Tomatoes. It holds an 86 approval rating. 86% approval rating. I was like, oh, that's really good. And that was based on six reviews. Yeah. Which were ours. So, sorry about that. <laughs> now, yeah. so here's the moment. Here is the crunch mm. time because we've, I think we've, you know, we've bounced all over the place with this one, as is the standard for the show. Um, and we've had an impromptu break in the middle. Uh, so. <laughs> Where would you guys come in on a score out of 10 for this one? Gap, where do you come in on this one? It's a 10. Oh, we got a 10. Jay? Mm, seven and a half. Oh, seven oh, and a half. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's pushing an eight, I'll, I'll be honest with you, but I can't give it 7.9. Um... <laughs> I'm going to give it seven and a half because that's under eight. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but the reason I, I was thinking about this and I looked back to something, I wrote something about my top 20 flashes a while back and I can't remember where I rated that. And I rated it at seven, at seven. And I still think it would probably land there. But having watched it again today, as much as I enjoy it and as much as it's, silly and as much as the Alfred character is funny to laugh at <laughs> it just doesn't it doesn't work in that way because of him yeah um, okay in the way that in the way that for example the prowler really does for me yeah I still think it's a I still think it's a great slasher yeah. Um, all right. I'll give it an eight. I'll give it an eight. You're gonna go still for think it. it's a great <laughs> yeah, pressure. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> um, I still think it's a great slasher. I just think that it 
And I think there's nothing wrong with trying to subvert the the standard tropes. Yeah. I just think it makes a bit of a mistake in how, in the character it chooses to play that that kind of uh, virgin. And he clearly is, but he spends, he's so... Dislikeable. Unsymp- yeah, yeah, he's so unsympathetic that it just... For that reason, it doesn't quite work in the way it could. It could be, it could be by all means, a final boy. It absolutely could. I don't have an issue with it being a boy or a girl or whatever, but I just think they, I don't know what they were missing where they thought he was in some way sympathetic because he really isn't. Yeah. Um, so so that's, that's just, yeah, it's a, it's a problem I've always had. With it. For me, but, it's an 8.5. And I got a couple tiny gripes. I got a couple tiny gripes about it. I think the ending is somewhat anticlimactic and doesn't quite work. It it just doesn't quite fit. Um, And I hate one of my real pet peeves (laughs) is day for night shooting. I hate day for night shooting. Absolutely winds me up. And the fact that, you know, look, you've got a budget of 1.5 million. You can rig a couple of lights. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. know some people would say, oh, it's a time thing. But it's like, no, you are, t- you know, the, the only scenes that were actually shot at night were the campfire scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And like sort of day for night just doesn't work for me because it just takes away all of the tension. So... And I know, like Hammer did it a lot, but there would there's something slightly different about that. But that's 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 why it's an eight point five. It's like the ending doesn't quite work for me. I I agree with the ending. I think it, it is anticlimactic. Yeah. But I think as an ensemble piece, yes, it works really well. I think everyone I, there aren't any real weak actors. I think they're uniformly pretty. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. With some more standout. Yeah, I think Jason Alexander and Fisher Stevens together yes. work really well. And it would have been nice to see a bit more of their relationship. Yes. It, that, that kind of like jokey. You know, you always have those jokey characters, but they were quite, they were kind of amiable and you kind of wanted to get to know them a bit more. Yeah. They were think, dicks. Uh, yeah. They, they, yeah. they didn't become irritating type characters. Did no, they? no, oh, they, they weren't. Yeah. They were, they were kind of fun loving and, you know, playing pranks, but they weren't annoying assholes. No. They weren't, it wasn't mean, they weren't mean spirited. Not at all. No, no. So, we've got a 10, we've got an 8.5. And we've got it. Are you sticking with an eight or are you stay with, with an eight? It is an eight. I'm sorry. You're I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being, I'm being, really, I'm, usually I'm not this, I'm, I'm not this harsh on a film, but I feel like it would be too easy for me to go, oh, it's definitely a 9.5. But I just, uh, yeah, it, it has, yeah, I, I'm being, I'm being true to myself. Yes. Um, <laughs> are you living an authentic life? That is yeah. the question. <laughs> but, but I tell you what, let's let's do the prowler next. Yes, I think that's. that's I think that's. That. Yes, let's. Yeah. De- I think that'll even it out a little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> before we yeah. wrap this one up, <laughs> yeah. Does anybody else got anything to say about the burning from 1981? Go on, uh, Gareth. Yeah, I, yeah. So, well, I really liked Sally, the character of Sally. 
Yeah. Um, who gets with Glazer, uh, played by an actress called Carrick Glenn, and she's become a bit of a mystery because I thought she was great in this, and I was interested to see what see what Tony Malin would say about her, and yeah. he said, you know, she was great, you know, she a real pro in the in the nude scenes, didn't even bat an eyelid, and and he likened her to Kim Cattrall in a in a movie he directed uh, where she starred with Rutger Hauer, which I think is Split Second. Yes, but I'm not oh, great film. Yeah, it's Split right, Second. Okay. It is Split and second. he said they were very similar. They were just get your kits off, no problem. Um, and, and she went on to make uh, another excellent slasher. Well, I say excellent. Uh, everybody else would probably just say average. Um, a, a little known one uh, called Girls Night Out in like a, a year later. Right. What's funny oh. is, is she didn't actually, if, I'm, if I recall rightly, she didn't get naked in that one. So the director missed a beat there because he could have, you know, gotten some free nudity. Well, I say free. <laughs> um, she sounded, you know, right up for the job. Um, but she was great and she disappeared and, and no one knows what happened to her. We can't find out. Um, and by contrast, um, I think it's Carolyn Houlihan, I think who played Karen, the one who gets full, uh, full frontal yes, with yeah. Eddie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently she was all like in the interview. Yeah, yeah. Do it. No problem. Or spoken mad. He just, he's just great. And he's there like saying, he said to her, well, darling, you know, you have to do these, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, I could do it. He's like, no, are you sure? Cause when we get there on the day, you know, darling, you've got to get your kit off, you know, full front, all the lot. It's going to be, you know, load of crew around. And, and she's like, yeah, no problem. No problem. Got on the day. She was not happy. Didn't want to do it. Was nervous. He said he felt sorry for her, but he also sort of said, you know, and she wasn't the greatest actress. So I always thought that was kind of funny. So props to Carrick Glenn who played Sally. Let's find out if anybody knows yes. what happened to her. Please tell yeah. us. Yes. There we go. He was quite subtle in his filming of Sally as well. I thought because she's naked, but it's it's very subtly done. He doesn't ogle her, does it? The camera doesn't ogle her. No, no, no. no. Okay, so interesting, interesting. Yeah, Yeah, she's good, actually. She's good. I I think she's a good character. So, ladies and gentlemen, is the burning from 1981. I want to say a huge thank you to who will, to Jay, who will forever be known as Jay the Diva. <laughs> Thank Eight. you for inviting me on to talk about Police Academy. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, as always, thank you, my brother, for being on. I really, really appreciate it. We'll get you back on soon. Gareth, thank you for being on. Thank you for joining You'll us. Never be invited back. <laughs> it's a pleasure. And I, I very much enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Indeed. Yeah, I can't even talk now. <laughs> I very much enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't think I'd like doing podcasts, but I thought that was great. So yeah, no, you, and like I said, you got we'll get you back on and we shall be talking the prowler. I'm sure at some point. So we'll get that sorted. Let's do it. So thank you very much, gents. Speak to you soon. Yes, bye. Bye. Okay, I'd like to say a big thank you to Jay and Gareth for being on. Uh, You might notice there's a slight difference in sound quality on this one because uh, I had a cold in the week and it's a couple of days later, so my voice is slightly better now. So I do apologise if there were any inconsistencies. Um, (laughs) Now, up next, we've got a new segment um, and we're going to play around with this for a little while, um, but it's definitely one to stay. And this is called What's in Peter's Box? Okay, up first on What's in Peter's Box is a movie called The Unseen from 1980. Let's check out the trailer. The Unseen. 
for too long it has been hiding. Waiting. Watching. It is the unspeakable. The uncontrollable. Okay, that was The Unseen from 1980. The Unseen was directed by Danny Steinman as Peter Folig. Um, it was also written uh, by Danny Steinman under the name of Peter Folig. And the reason being for this was he was so unhappy with the final cut of this film, he had his name removed from it. It stars uh, Stephen First as Junior Keller, or The Unseen, Barbara Bach of Bond Girl fame, uh, playing Jennifer Fast, Sidney Lassick as Ernest Keller, uh, Leela Goldini uh, as Virginia Keller, Karen Lamb as Karen Fast, Douglas Barr um, as Tony Ross, Lewis Young as Vicky Thompson, and Medea Severin as Solvang Lady. Um, this is this kind of plays out like a sort of slightly what's the best way a slightly more violent episode of Columbo. Um, with a bit of sort of uh, nudity thrown in for a, for good measure. <laughs> it's very, very silly. Um, it essentially follows the story of a trio of female reporters who find themselves staying overnight in a house occupied by a incestuous um, brother and sister duo uh, with something rather dark and sinister lurking in their basement. Um, it's completely bonkers. Um, it's sort of, um, it's one of those things that you'll come across on the horror channel, but if you do come across it, it is definitely worth a look. Um, it's very, very Sydney, uh, silly Sydney Lassick's performance, um, in this is really good. Now, most people recognize Sidney Lassick as a character actor. He pops up in a number of things. Uh, for me, I, I, I always play, be reminded of the, the CD pet shop owner in Alligator. Um, it, the runtime for this is about 89, 90 minutes. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's very, very silly. Uh, it's very interesting watching um, Barbara Bach's um, approach to acting. Um, because she's not known for her acting ability. <laughs> um, and some of her lines land with a clonk. 
but it's a lot of fun. It does have some spooky moments in it, but definitely if you come across this one um, and it's on the horror channel or one of the late night uh, channels, or I think you can maybe be able to find it on the Ube of the Tube channels. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. So that was The Unseen from 1980. Okay, up next we have got What the Wookiee Watched. And first up is The House on Haunted Hill from 1999. Let's check out the trailer. Halloween, six strangers have been invited to a party. If they can stay up till dawn, they'll win one million dollars each. The only catch is that they'll have to live through the night. Let the games begin. Okay, that was the trailer for House on Haunted Hill, 1999. Now, this one was directed by William Malone. Uh, it was written by Rob White and Dick Beeb. Um, it starred Jeffrey Rush, Famig Jansen, Tay Diggs, Peter Gallagher, Christine Catane, uh, Ali Lutter. Lata? Lata? I'm not sure. Ali Lata. I'm going to go with that one. Bridget Wilson Sampras, Max Perlich, and the legendary. Jeffrey Coombs. Now, you asked me, why have I gone back and watched this? Well, um, basically, after watching the excellent Netflix, uh, Netflix? Netflix, uh, House on Haunted Hill, uh, I thought, why not go back and have a look at this one? It'd been a long, long time since uh, I'd watched it. And, of course, we reviewed the original House on Haunted Hill uh, with uh, Vincent Price a couple episodes ago. So I went back, had a look at this one, and I wish I didn't. It was dire. Um, it's dated. I don't. It's dated really, really badly. I don't think it could look any more sort of nineteen nineties uh, if it wanted to. Um, my wife made a really good point. It kind of looked like a Goosebumps episode. 
um, which is never a really good start. And, it's, and this is the thing, it's got a really, really good cast, and, and it's completely squandered. Um, there's no tension, there's no atmosphere, um, it kind of feels like a subpar Marilyn Manson music video at times, um, and it just it didn't seem to end. It just went on and on and on. I mean, the running time for this uh, was is 99 minutes, um, but it felt like it went on forever. Um, there's no atmosphere. There's no chemistry. Jeffrey Rush is very, very good in this. Um, he's not Vincent Price, but then not many people are. Um, so what would I give this? Out of 10, I'd give it a 4. Um, and I'd say if it was on... And it was you had really nothing else to do, maybe you know drive nails into your feet or something. But um, yeah, give it a miss. Not a great one. Four out of ten. Okay, up next we have got Constantine, City of Demons from 2018. Let's check out the trailer. I spill my own blood now to show respect. Thank you for letting me into your house. Thank you for hearing. I've been keeping tabs on you, Constantine. And I've been keeping innocent little Trish. Bastard! Where is she? She's somewhere in the bowels of hell. Screaming your name. I want my little girl, and if anyone can get her back, it's you. Lovely. You have no idea what's out there. We're messing with deep, dark magic here. This could destroy my city. I need your demons to fight these demons. I'm gonna need a weapon. Remember what you said about sacrificing anything for Trish? Did you mean it? Yes! If there's one thing I've learned over the years, is that there are no happy endings. There never are. There's always a price to pay. Jesus, John, are you all right? No, but I'm alive, and that's got to count for something, right? Okay, that was the trailer for Constantine, City of Demons from 2018. Uh, this was directed by Doug Murphy. Um, it was written by J.M. Dimatteis and 11 others. I ain't going through all of them now. Uh, <laughs> it starred Matt Ryan, of course, as John Constantine. Uh, Damien O'Hare as Chris Chandler, or Chaz Chandler, sorry. Laura Bailey as Asa the Healer. Emily O'Brien as Rene Chandler, Robin Atkin Downs as Butler, Rachel Kimsey as the announcer, Jim Miskman as Barul, and Kevil, Kevin Michael Richardson as Mahonin. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, I'm a big fan of Constantine and Hellblazer. Um, and 
really, really disappointed when the TV series got cancelled. So glad to see that Matt Ryan is continuing to voice Constantine because I do think he is great as Constantine. He's got the balance quite... Uh, he's got it quite right there. Um, and essentially what we got here is a great, great animated version. Um, it's nice to see that DC have kind of pared back a little bit the anime style um, that they've used previously, particularly like uh, what they did with Ninja Batman, which was sort of um, epilepsy-inducing. Um, this is a... It's a good story. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's They made sure it's um, it's got all the gore in it. It's an 18. Um, I really, really would highly, highly recommend uh, this one. Originally released as a, um, as a TV series, um, so sometimes I think some of like it, it does have that sort of cliffhangery feel every now and again to it. However, it's very very well uh, put together. Uh, Matt Ryan is superb as Constantine, and I would give this a seven and a half out of ten. And now the end is near. I finished off my last can of monster. <laughs> Yes, ladies and gentlemen, sadly, once again, our time draws to an end. But before I go, um, i got a couple of things that I'd like to say. Uh, first up is, gee, some of you, by the time this comes out, some of you will be aware that uh, the undead Wookiee, little old me, is dipping his toe into filmmaking once again. However, this time, uh, we're doing things sensibly. Uh, we've set up a GoFundMe uh, page, and we've set ourselves a target. And what I would really, really love is for all my listeners, um, or just if you're listening for the first time, go over to the GoFundMe page, check it out, because we... Um, I say we, the Royal Weeb, because we're already putting a cast together, and we're looking at putting a crew together, and we've got some amazing amazing volunteers who are going to be working with us um and being part of the crew and put you know it, it's really really exciting uh, and as the weeks go on and production progresses i'll be giving you guys updates and, the, and everything else however the gofundme page okay has already started and what i was what i have said is for every person who makes a donation i will give you a personal thank you on the show and so far we have got some incredible incredible wonderful generous people who have made donations um and have make are making this project possible so first of all i want to say a big shout out to my man blake Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it. Um, it's a genuinely, genuinely heartfelt thank you. You were the first man in. Um, so thank you so much, sir. I really, really appreciate it. Ruth Muirhead. Ruth, thank you so much. Honestly, um, Ruth's a good friend of mine. Um, worked with Ruth for many, many years. Um, I want to say thank you very much and continue to enjoy your retirement. Um, Mr. Anthony Price, I want to say thank you to you, sir. Peter Germany, uh, are some people called Lindsay and Catherine Davis. Hmm, I wonder. Maybe a feline connection there. And to a masked donator, sir, thank you very, very much. He will be sir not appearing in this movie, 
but your donation is greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, Mr. David Davis, thank you very much. And of course, to our last, but certainly not least so far, is Mr. Richard Jones. Um, to everybody on that list, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really, really appreciate it. This is a very, very, um, it's a bit of a passion project for me. Um, so if you want to learn a little bit more about it, the title for this is Schoolhouse Slaughter, or School Hall Slaughter, sorry. It's late. I've had a couple of cans of Monster. I'm really, really hyped up, and I'm very, very tired, so I'm fairly delirious. Uh, <laughs> it's School Hall Slaughter. Um, Mr. Chris Edwards has done some fantastic, fantastic artwork for this. So go over to the Facebook page. You can see that we've set up a little production page on there. I'm going to be updating it with uh, casting information. Um, so, for example, you can check out the incredible practical special effects that have been created by Mr. Anthony Price, the same Anthony Price who was donated to this. Um, we've got um, a, a local composer and musician on board. Wayne's work is amazing. Go check out RDF on there. Um, so, guys, please get behind us and, uh, and help us make this the best project that we can possibly do because like you guys who are listening to this, I love horror. Um, I'm a big fan of the slasher genre. This is an 80s inspired slasher picture. So please go over to GoFundMe. That's the GoFundMe page. And uh, check out our, our little blurb over there. And I will be continuing to say thank you to everybody um, individually who has donated um, to help make this project happen. Also, don't forget to get yourselves over to Twitter and facebook and like the page and let us know what you think of the show also if you love the show get over to itunes drop us some of those five star ratings really really appreciate it let's get people listening also get over to soundcloud don't forget that we're over there so ladies and gentlemen our time has drawn to an end and in the immortal words of count Dracula, good night out there whatever you are
This is Al from Cadavercast. You've been listening to Thunder Wookie. The back.